Due to subject matter, the following story contains realistically harsh language that may be offensive to some. Graphic Audio presents DC Comics Batman The Inferno by Alex Irvine Batman and all related names, characters, and elements are trademarks of DC Comics. Copyright 2009, DC Comics. Batman created by Bob Kane. Narrated by Richard Rowan. With performances by James Konachek, Stephen Carpenter, Terence Aselford, Colleen Delaney, David Coyne, Lily Beacon, Nathan Bennett, Ken Jackson, Mort Shelby, Tim Getman. Andy Clements, Scott McCormick, Amanda Thickpenny, Laura Reichert, Eric Messner, Nanette Savard, Michael John Casey, Dylan Lynch, Joe Brack, Michael Replogle, Sonny Lasky, Jonathan Watkins, M.B. Van Dorn, Chris Rowan, Nathaniel Perry, and Jeff Baker. Online. Bullseye, the video blog of Gotham Gazette columnist Rafael Del Toro. Far be it from me to start a public dust-up within the happy little Gazette family. Well, usually. But last week's little bit of, you'll pardon the pun, autoeroticism put me right over the edge. The Gazette's esteemed automotive columnist, you'll recall, published what was billed as a think piece on Batman's car. Batman's car! Wondering what kind of powertrain it had, what kind of suspension, whether the costume crackpot had gotten hold of military-grade materials for its apparently bulletproof exterior and so on. And this was on page one, above the fold, the same day that Carmine Falcone's goons turned the Gotham Superior Courthouse into their own personal shooting gallery, with judges as the little duckies going back and forth until they got plinked. Priorities, people. Okay, I've got an idea. If we're gonna call this guy Batman, let's be consistent. Why bother to figure out what kind of car he's driving? Uh, it's a bat car. 
on a bat chassis powered by a bat motor with top-of-the-line bat springs and an aftermarket bat exhaust that every auto enthusiast between here and Detroit would kill his mother to have. He wears a bat suit with a bat cape and he goes home to a bat house where there's a bat wife and bat kids and a bat dog. He captures villains with little metal things? Okay, those are batarangs. And he swings from building to building with a bat grappler. Hell, let's brand the whole thing. Make a TV show about it. Refurbish some of the old factories in Chinatown so they can turn out bat toys for little kids who want to grow up to be sociopathic vigilantes. That's urban renewal. <laughs> I think you've got the point by now, right? Calling this lunatic Batman is just feeding into whatever grandiose weirdness he has in his head already. Unless we're all ready for Gotham City to become Bat-Town, it's already Bat-Sh-Crazy if you ask me, then we need to reel in this whole Bat-Phenomena before everyone goes right off the Bat-Deep Bat-End. And with that, I return you to your regularly scheduled obsession with Costume Maniacs. July 26th, 9.09 a.m. Bruce Wayne has never figured himself for a power tool enthusiast, but the fact is hard to deny. He blames Lucius Fox, which is a dodge, like blaming Tsunetomo for his love of physical discipline as expressed through the martial arts. It's always been there, latent, waiting for the shriek of the lathe and the brutal seduction of the pneumatic drill. Today, it's the jackhammer, pulverizing a bulge in the cave wall, smoothing, leveling, squaring. He will bring order and regularity to the cave, the way he brought order and regularity to his fear, through planning, diligence, and the necessary application of force. Where millennia of water had meandered and eroded and precipitated, leaving an organic and irregular labyrinth, a few weeks of work will yield a haven. A completed base of operations from which a man with the right kind of courage and dedication could save his city from those who would corrupt it and do it harm. He wants as much of the cave to remain natural as is possible. Once he cleared and squared enough space for a laboratory, workshop, training area and garage, that was enough. Now he's in the finishing stages. Too much work, too much hammering and blasting and drilling might displace the bats that were the reason for his coming here as they were the collective reason for so much else. Bruce has already redone the cave's wiring twice to accommodate the additions he's made since deciding to create this hideaway two years ago. And if he goes ahead and adds all the facilities he has in mind, he'll have to do it again. Right now, the computer workstation is in a level spot surrounded by stalagmites, the metalworking area nestles in an alcove that still stinks of guano, and he can't do any materials testing because he needs a climate-controlled room. <sighs> Good thing I'm a billionaire playboy. If I had a real job, I'd never have time to get all this done. Why don't you take a break, Master Bruce? Alfred, you know I can't. I need to get this squared off before the reception tonight. If I may be so bold, the cave will be exactly where you left it. Yes, it will. And tomorrow it will be a portfolio review or a charity appearance or a stockholders meeting that will get in the way. And this will be just a cave until I come down here when I don't want to and get this done. Or are you suggesting I should put the job out to bid? Surely not. But you must realize when you've brought your crew to the last of its strength. Alfred snaps a handkerchief out of his pocket and dabs at his forehead in the corners of his eyes. <coughs> if you'll excuse me, Master Bruce, I believe I will enjoy a break for both of us. Be my guest. <sighs> 
Alfred sits in the swivel chair in front of the bank of monitors near the elevator and leans it all the way back, resting a hand over his eyes. Bruce starts to go back to work, but out of all the thoughts about Tsunetomo and grand schemes for the cave, Rafael del Toro's bullseye vlog creeps into the front of his mind and won't leave. He leans the jackhammer against the cave wall. <sighs> Did you see the bullseye blog this morning, Alfred? I'm quite sure you know the answer to that question, Master Bruce. Mr. Del Toro's internet column falls well within the parameters of the information trolling program you installed. Unfortunately. So what do you think? Should I start to license bat gear? Or maybe I should get a bat wife first and have some bat kids so I can sell pictures of them to the gossip rags. Sound like a good idea to you? It seems to me that the very fact of your marriage would keep the gossip rags in rapture for years. Whether your betrothed was a bat or not. <laughs> True. Wonder if it's time for another Bruce Wayne jilt socialite scandal. Think that would goose the stock price a little? I highly doubt that shareholder value is dependent on your amorous escapades. Still, if there's any chance I could do the company some good... I shall consult the social register. Surely there is a lass remaining who has not yet been victimized by your charms. That's the spirit. When you find her, invite her to whatever the thing is tonight. The Thing, as you so casually put it, is a charity event for Wayne Enterprises' Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Bruce starts clearing rubble into a bin. It doesn't match training on a glacier with Tibetan warrior monks, but it's hard physical work and he falls into the rhythm of it, feeling muscle and ligament flex and lengthen, hearing the air in his lungs and the steady backbeat of his heart. There's music in the body, if you know to listen for it. A more metaphysical thought than Bruce Wayne usually allows himself to indulge in. But when you've decided to devote your life to breaking your body and your mind against the tide of evil and corruption that constantly threatens Gotham City, there's something centering about plain, mundane labor. Especially when you can do it in a cave that's constantly 57 degrees, instead of the 90-plus summer heat baking the city. Master Bruce, I believe you'll be interested in this. What's that, Alfred? Bruce thought Alfred was asleep. He should have known better. If I'm not mistaken, a situation has arisen that requires the informal services you have of late provided our fair city. Uh, may I suggest you have a look yourself? Be right there. Taking them to Trask with my favorite loudmouth, Dwayne Trask. So shut up and pay attention. He's talking here. Well, Gotham City's favorite billionaire playboy was up to his usual shenanigans last night, pulling a no-show at an event he'd been splashing his face all over for the past three months. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation of Greater Gotham soldiered on, but if you were a student of body language, you might have noticed that organizers spent a lot of time peering towards the door in hopes that our boy would make an appearance. Unconfirmed reports suggest that Bruce Wayne was canoodling with real estate scion, or should I say scioness, Tiffany Heskell, while Gotham's muckatiest mucks paid thousands of dollars a play to eat foie gras and listen to has-been movie stars talk about the need for a cure. 
Whether the reason for Brucey's absence was Tiffany's charms or simple inability to put his mouth where his money is, the fact is that he has an ongoing problem with following through on the commitments he makes for other people. Must be nice to be able to do that and get away with it. Must be even nicer to be able to do that and still look at yourself in the mirror the next morning. Let's go to the... July 26th, 10.17 p.m. The fire has bridged two tenements in Otisburg. From a rooftop near the fire, but not too near, he's learned that lesson, Enfer watches the firefighters and waits for the first of them to enter one of the buildings. He shouldn't indulge this temptation, it's what got him caught the last time, but if he were any good at resisting temptation, he wouldn't be where he is. Not that he regrets being where he is, although the road has been painful at times. He loses his train of thought as the first of the deck guns starts up and steam explodes from the burning upper floors of the southern building. It's burning faster than the one to the north, and the boys are also laying water curtains down the alleys on either side of the fire. Enfer starts to worry that they're going to go surround and drown. That's not what he wants. From a pocket of his coat, he takes a transmitter. He'll give them a couple of minutes, and if they don't go interior by then, he's going to change the rules of engagement. The timing of the whole enterprise is important. If the firemen don't cooperate and Batman doesn't show up, Enfer is going to have a little problem on his hands with a certain Dr. Crane, and that's the last thing in the world he wants. Just the thought of Crane sets a tiny part of his brain squirming. Even though he's done pretty well at papering over the worst of his Arkham memories, with a carefully cultivated vengefulness directed at Gotham City's ambivalently regarded hero, Batman. None of this would have happened if it weren't for you. Enfer plans to repeat the words again. Just before he torches the costume, right off the oh-so-roastable flesh underneath it. The familiar smell from the chemical dump in the Atlas Mountains reminds him that he's getting excited, losing track of the plan. The fragrance leaks out of him when he gets agitated, as if his body has assimilated the chemicals that blew up around him that day and turned them into pheromones. Checking his watch, and foresees that the three companies of firefighters have opted for the surround and drown approach. Worse yet, it appears to be working. Panty wastes. Why not just wait for it to rain? Surround and drown is the suburban strip mall approach. Urban firefighters are supposed to go interior. Supposed to be killing each other to get the nozzle, to make the stop. So, he flicks a switch on the transmitter, and the very convincing recording peels out of a broken window of the northern building. There! She's on the fourth floor! That does the trick. And for watches with a professional's eye as an interior team deploys. He waits for the six of them to get inside the building, and then he starts counting, figuring 20 seconds for each floor in full gear. One of the aerial trucks backs closer to the northern building and raises its ladder between the structure and a close string of electrical wires. Before it's come to rest against the wall below the broken window, one of the firemen is halfway up it. Brave souls. Such brave souls. 78, 79, 80.
every window on the third floor blows out in a magnificent halo of flame. The force of the explosion flings the man off the ladder, trailing smoke, he tumbles in a long arc and lands flat on his back in the middle of Bjornsson Street. A couple of paramedics are converging on the spot before he hits the ground. Another two men are already on their way up the ladder, and the deck guns swivel around toward the northern building, pouring water into the windows facing the street. Already there's water coming out the front door of the building, but while water is the best way to ensure that you kill a fire, it's also the slowest, and it only works if you can put enough of it on a fire to get the fire to waste all its energy vaporizing water instead of carbonizing tenements. This is what you get, you courageous, self-righteous, backstabbing bastards. <laughs> Did you think you could just humiliate me? Turn me into a scapegoat? Did you think you could just call me crazy <laughs> and that would be the end of it? Two more aerials are maneuvering into position from companies in adjacent districts. Here's where the timing is tricky. If Enfer has planned right and caught a break, it'll take the rescue teams long enough to get to the trapped men, but a certain person will hear of the crisis and respond. If he hasn't planned right, then at least he's gotten the first part of his revenge. Either way, it's a pretty good day. But he wants the Batman. Torching a bunch of brave, stupid smoke eaters is something he can do anytime. He wonders if any of them has spotted the speaker setup. It might be a more interesting game if they figure out that they're being hunted. He decides to make the setup more obvious next time he does this, which, he's checking his watch again, is going to be soon. At T plus seven minutes, <laughs> Enfer feels a charge of elation at the sight of that unmistakable black cape fanning out in the night air. There he is, swinging down from God knows where to land with perfect grace on one of the ladders. Almost too quick to follow, he's in the building, and then out again on one of the other ladders with a sooty body in a fireman's carry. He hands off the injured man and leaps back up into the building. God, he's fast. Come on, hero. Enfer pulls his face mask down and buckles it, then runs through the rest of what he's come to think of as his pre-Batman checklist. Escape route. Check. Little Easter egg for Batman in case of pursuit. Check. Big Easter egg in case of capture. Check. Oh, check. A gas-fired spike buries itself in the sandstone wall just below his feet. Showtime. And for sees Batman swinging in a wide arc away from the corner of the northern tenement. Smooth. He's got some kind of spool on the other side of the wire, and it snaps him in a long S-curve across the face of the building Enfer's using as his lookout. He rises, and just as he's reached the point of stillness at the crest of his swing, lets go of the wire and does a perfect somersault onto the other corner of the roof. Now all there is between Batman and Enfer is a hundred feet of gravel-covered tar, and by the time Enfer has that thought, the distance is fifty feet. He fans a group of what he calls cherry bombs across the gravel between them, and hops over the rooftop parapet onto the fire escape as they go off at Batman's feet. He wants to look back. In fact, it's killing him that he can't watch the effects of either the cherry bombs or the show he's put on across the street. But if there's one thing his demo training taught him, it's adherence to procedure. And he's had this plan in place for too long to start freelancing now. He's chosen Otisburg because it's convenient for the next stage, although what he really wanted to do was the whole thing in an empty department store near Crime Alley, where Batman seems to appear quite a bit. Maybe next time.
Right now, the thing to do is stay a step ahead of Batman, who's coming down the fire escape a lot faster than Enfer has managed so far. When he gets to the third floor, Enfer jumps, then glances up to see how much of a head start he's got, only to find that Batman, three flights above him, has also jumped. Only a maniac would jump from a sixth floor fire escape. Enfer corrects himself almost instantly as Batman fans out his cape, and it miraculously stiffens, guiding him down like a hang glider. The upside of this nifty maneuver is that Enfer falls faster and is out of the alley and around the corner onto Bjornsson before Batman hits the ground. The compulsion to stop and admire his handiwork across the street is almost too strong to resist, but Enfer keeps his legs pumping. If ever there was a time not to gawk, this is it. Enfer wonders if he knows any of the firefighters shouting at him. Then he's pounding up Armory Street over the hill and toward the northernmost Gotham River docks. He's always been fast, and the smell coming out of his clothes means he started to metabolize some of the chemicals his body somehow learned to produce after what he's come to think of as his chemical baptism last year. One of these days, he's going to find a discreet chemist. He wonders in passing if any Arkham residents are chemists and see what it is exactly his body has started to make. Whatever it is, he likes it. It makes him strong. It makes him fast. It makes him burn. He crests the hill and picks up even more speed on the way down. Ahead, he sees pleasure boats out for evening cruises, along with a single tug heading downstream. He crosses Ridgeview Boulevard against traffic, juking around cars like a running back, and as soon as he's across, he leaves another string of cherry bombs just to slow Batman down a little. Batman is closer than Enfer would like. Timing. Timing. And then he's out onto Pier 29, vaulting over the chain-hung gate and flipping joysticks over his shoulder. How he loves the joysticks, the way they light up and go spinning off into the air with that little whistle he built in for effect. Enfer glances over his shoulder and sees Batman swiping at the joysticks like King Kong on the Empire State Building. But just as he's starting to take real pleasure from the effect, the joysticks are already burning out, and Batman has slapped some of them to the ground, where they shatter in showers of sparks. Enfer backs to the edge of the pier and glances down and behind him. Black water, ripples ridged in the orange of the sun, setting out beyond the airport. I'm a little too old for fireworks. Enfer looks back and sees the vigilante less than ten feet from him. How different from the last time they did this. Enfer was almost beneath his notice then trussed like a hog and left on the sidewalk for the police to discover, while Batman was on his way somewhere else. This time he gets the full villain treatment, pursuit, even banter, or what passes for banter coming from Batman, who's not much of a conversationalist. Oh, come on. You must have enjoyed the show at least a little, or you wouldn't have come all this way to watch the ending. I came to make sure you answer for those firefighters. Ah, justice. Now we've all got our ideas about that. Justice, Batman, is, as you know, not the same thing to all people. Spare me. Wonderful sight. Enfer is still looking at the glow in the sky. And now it's time to set the final part of this little plan in motion. Enfer strikes a pose, looking out over the hill, at the glow of the fire burning a few blocks on the other side. How he loves the way the smoke catches the flashing lights of the fire trucks. Allow me to introduce myself. I am called Enfer, and I have a message to convey to you. It goes something like this. Demonstre dragon noir se serait fait sur vous, et 
voir les souffles des flammes dans la cour. Batman rolls his eyes, the whites visible for a moment through the holes in his mask. <laughs> An affectation. Cuff me, Batman. You do cuff villains, don't you? In addition to the common criminals? He holds his arms out, the right a little in front of the left, figuring that if Batman is right-handed, he'll use his left hand to hold Enfer's wrist while opening whatever bat cuffs he's using with his right. And sure enough, Batman does exactly that. If Enfer had nerves there, that would hurt. Of course, it's Batman's fault he doesn't. Enfer's trying to hold back a smile. Just like last time, it's night, and there are fires yet to birth, and this costumed freak is imposing his will. While Batman's hands are still occupied, still holding his wrist, Enfer jerks his right shoulder back, and the arm separates cleanly at the joint. In the same motion, Enfer leaps backward. For a paralyzing moment, he feels Batman's fingers brush the edge of his feet, but even Gotham's finest vigilante is only so fast. As Enfer somersaults over the edge of the pier, just before he hits the water, he sees Batman drop the arm and duck into his cape, before the entire end of the pier vanishes in a mushrooming tower of flame. July 27th, 1.49 a.m. The great virtue of pain is that it gives you something to surmount, to attack and vanquish. As an internal enemy, it keeps you in shape for the external battles. Bruce sprawls across a work table, shivering, as Alfred smears ointment across the burns on his legs. He deflected most of the blast with a cloak, but fire is a way of finding gaps, and the skin of his legs is reddened and blistered in places even though the suit survived without a mark. He makes a note to prioritize thermal insulation at the next redesign. Lucius will probably have some interesting ideas. Giant black dragons. Uh, big pardon, Master Bruce? He said something to me in French, right before his arm came off. Something about giant black dragons breathing flames on my neck. Bruce's throat does feel like he's been getting mouth to mouth from a dragon. <sighs> Bruce sits up on the edge of the table and hops to the floor, deliberately moving as if his legs don't hurt. Fake it till you make it, he's read more than once. As Alfred starts hanging up the suit and replenishing the gear in Batman's utility belt, Bruce sits at the computer and runs a series of phrase searches involving Black Dragons. After culling several million references to various role-playing games, he comes up with several references to a poem. Huh. Here. Great black dragons with smoking tongues would have blown red flames on your neck. Beg pardon, sir. He brings the entire poem up and reads it, absorbing its odd religious fervor that coexists uneasily with a vivid section, imagining how much worse the tortures of Jesus Christ could have been. Enfer's quote came from that section. Bruce is no literary critic, but he is made more than a little uneasy by a lunatic arsonist quoting poems at him about the potential torments of the Son of God. Have a look at this, Alfred. Blaise Sandrar. A bit transparent, don't you think? Help me out here, Alfred. You remember what a great French student I was. Well, apart from the obvious bilingual pun in the first name, the surname means cinder, more or less. Hmm. 
Bruce hasn't even read the title of the poem, or seen who wrote it. It's polyglot anyway. An arsonist named Cinder. He runs a search on the poet and comes up with more poems, a wide selection of capsule biographies, an even wider selection of essays, and a couple of portraits done by Modigliani. Pulling one of the biographies, Bruce scans it. Born in 1887 in Switzerland, under the name Frederick Saucer. Frederic Saucer. Right. Childhood stays in Egypt and Italy, probably England and France as well, followed by stints in Germany and Russia, then France and Switzerland and Belgium and New York. <sighs> Bit of a wanderer. Back to Europe for a couple of years before the war swept him up and, uh, caused him his right arm in 1915 at the Battle of Navarin Farm in Champagne. How about that? Indeed. There is more after that, about this or that poem, or this or that woman, but Bruce has seen what he needs. Wasn't... He runs another quick search. Huh. The town where he was born. Or should have fall. Well done, sir. It was the center of the Swiss watchmaking industry, but it's also where Kropotkin came from. Watchers and anarchists. So it's not terribly shocking that our man has a bit of a fetish for both timers and things that go boom. No, it's not. Seems like they always identify with someone. But this is the first one who thought he was a poet. Much less a maimed poet. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say all poets are maimed, but if I remember correctly, you once gave me 500 lines for a comment I made about poets. I will not indulge in juvenile disdain of my literary betters. Was it only 500? You'd remember better than I would. Quite. Well, Master Bruce, let's get you resting, shall we? If you're to hunt down a mad arsonist who fancies himself a poet, you're going to need your strength. If Batman's going to hunt him down... Already, Bruce is itching to put the suit back on, become one more shadow in nocturnal Gotham City. Not for the first time. He has the notion that he is the costume. That Batman is more real than Bruce Wayne. That, to make a long story short, the long germination begun when Thomas and Martha Wayne lay dying in Crime Alley is now complete. And Bruce Wayne has been transformed into Batman more completely than his daily show of dissipation and profligacy can really disguise. Bruce Wayne, for example, would be thinking right now, but his legs hurt like a son of a bitch. Ouch. Bruce says it, just to keep his mind straight. He's begun to realize over the past year that he's going to have to work to keep Batman cordoned off where he belongs, down here in the cave and on the nighttime Gotham City streets. One more exercise of will. Pain only exists when he wants it to, and Batman only exists when Bruce lets him. It's barely after two, but Anfer is gone, and Bruce guesses that he will wait to turn up again until he has a new arm. It probably won't take long. These thoughts occupy him on the elevator ride up from the cave to the third floor of Wayne Manor, where he will put on his lightest pair of pajamas, crawl into bed, and let himself hurt. Good evening. I'm Jillian O'Connor. Excuse me. 
Could you turn that up, please? Firefighters died and three others were hospitalized when an Otisburg tenement fire unexpectedly spread to a second building and jumped floors in the first, trapping firefighters between floors. An all-out rescue effort succeeded in rescuing all but Francisco Giordano, 41, and Evan Gilbert, 33, whose bodies were only recovered after the fire was brought under control in the early hours of this morning. The names of the injured were not released, and doctors at Gotham Central Receiving Hospital were not available for comment. Batman was also spotted at the scene and, according to witnesses, was responsible for rescuing at least one of the survivors before pursuing a possible arsonist. Andrew Norster was a witness. He came down the ladder and then, and then zoom, he was going up to the roof of the building across the street there. I, I saw another guy up on the roof there, but I thought he was just another fireman. I mean, he, he looked like one, you know. GCPD spokeswoman Aaron McNamara refused to comment on the possibility of arson pending the results of their investigation. We've lost two of our own tonight. It's not a time for speculation. But several witnesses reported sightings of a figure on the rooftop across Bjornsson Street, possibly wearing firefighting garb. Gotham City police detectives arrived at the scene shortly after 10 o'clock, but refused to comment. July 27th, 4.30 p.m. City Inspector. He flashes the badge at the gates of Arkham Asylum and is rewarded with a momentary flash of panic on the guard's face. Uh, there's a city inspector here. Right. The guard will not meet his eye. He opens the gate without another word. In the oppressive afternoon heat, the asylum broods inside its ring of stone and dormant sweeping spotlights. There is, as always, ample parking. Few of the inmates entertain visitors, and the staff is skeletal, to say nothing of idiosyncratic. Many of them live on the grounds, and with some justice, most of those might be incarcerated there rather than employed. He shoulders his satchel and walks up the granite steps. The director is waiting just inside the main front doors. This is highly irregular. City codes, Dr. Crane. We're under no obligation to announce inspections. Apparently, courtesy isn't one of your obligations either. Honestly, Dr. Crane, an inspection with advance notice isn't much of an inspection, is it? Crane steps right up into his face. And just what is the implication of that statement? Are you suggesting that because I insist on basic professional courtesy, there is something I need to hide about my practice here? In the offices adjoining the receiving lobby, Arkham staff surreptitiously take in the little drama. Dr. Crane, basic professional courtesy might also require that you allow me to do the job the people of Gotham City expect me to do. <laughs> the people of Gotham City don't know that you exist. They need me to heal these people, and your little surprise here is taking me away from valuable work. The sooner I do what I came here to do, the sooner you can resume your work. Now, Doctor, the first thing we ought to do is a walkthrough. Are you able to do it, or are you too busy? Is there someone you'd like to delegate? The inspector is smiling as he says it, and Jonathan Crane is, as the inspector's mother would have said, mad enough to spit nails. I will do it myself. And when it is done, I will be on the phone to your director. Be my guest. Crane turns on his heel and walks fast through the door into the interior of the asylum. Thirty minutes later, the walkthrough is done. 
The inspector has noted a number of minor violations, including substandard hygiene maintenance in staff restrooms and failure to maintain clear sight lines in hallways accessing inmate facilities. Dr. Crane has, as expected, protested each citation vociferously. Along the way, in those moments when Dr. Crane's attention was briefly directed elsewhere by calls from his staff, the inspector has also left a number of calling cards to be deployed at the correct moment, and he has indulged in a single act of particular mischief because, in the inspector's opinion, Dr. Jonathan Crane is in dire need of being taken down a peg. Or two. Soon enough. They retire to Crane's office, and the doctor locks the door. <laughs> You should have been an actor. I thought I just was. They shake hands. Ah, uh, home. Good to be back, is it? <sighs> Crane sits at his desk and neatens a stack of files. Mm. It's always interesting to be here when you know you can leave. I can't leave. I really can't. The work is much too absorbing. <clears throat> I hate to talk business so abruptly. But how's the work going with our nocturnal vigilante? Perfect so far. I left an impression on him, that's for sure. It shouldn't be too difficult to keep him hot on the trail now. It never is. But this is a tiger by the tail, Freddy. I've got a lot invested in you. The inspector refuses to rise to this bait. He will not think about Batman at this moment. Military training taught him to compartmentalize, to focus on the task at hand. Right now, he is playing a role, which is similar to the role Dr. Crane believes he is playing, but not, as the doctor will soon find out, identical. If you didn't kill him, he'll be scheming. That's what he does. He thinks and plans and schemes, unhealthily. The work of this deranged mind is a tumor in the body of this city. It must be cut out. What Gotham needs is proper control vested in the proper channels, not costumed maniacs with overdeveloped ideas about absolute right and wrong. That's no way to live in the world. You don't need to preach to me, Doctor. You told me what you needed, and I'm doing it. Let's leave it at that. Dear me. No gratitude? Crane leans forward over his desk, and something about the way the light catches the planes of his face Gets the inspector thinking about the time he spent in those therapy rooms. He begins to sweat and to lose his grasp of the roll. It is all he can do to keep his finger away from the switch that will deploy the little calling cards he's left in his wake. Mm. We have an agreement, Doctor. I would prefer if we kept our interaction professional. Of course. Shall I sign your report? I'll leave a copy here. Go ahead and mail it in after you've had a chance to look it over. Oh my! Courtesy returns. Are you short of resources for your mission? Thanks, Dr. Crane. We'll see you soon. I certainly hope so. The inspector closes the door behind him. His heart is pounding and his shirt sticks to the small of his back. He can't get back out the front door fast enough. And he can't even wait until he's through the gate before his fingers find the switch and deploy the calling cards. As he heads south over the Trigate Bridge in the direction of Gotham University, fires are blooming all over Arkham Asylum. Now we'll see who's working on whose plan, Dr. Crane. You'll get your Batman, 
But I've got something I want, too. Find a better deal across the land if you flew over with a balloon! This just in. A large fire is burning on the grounds of Arkham Asylum. Preliminary reports indicate that the fire is out of control and that the facility is in the process of being evacuated. Gotham City police and fire officials are uncertain what is to be done with the asylum's population while the fire is brought under control. And it's also unclear how many inmates might have used the fire as cover for escape attempts. Gotham City Police have cordoned off all approaches to the island, but already reports are spreading through the city that various inmates have been spotted in nearby neighborhoods. We'll keep you updated on this breaking story as it develops. July 27th, 5.57 p.m. When the city inspector, who looked awfully familiar as the saying goes, went by and slipped the card under his door, and then slipped the lock on his door, the Joker was sure at the time that it was a trap. <laughs> no siree, Bob. As if I haven't heard that one before. What? There was an asylum inmate who found his door open. The punchline involves guards and boot heels and missing teeth, and that's the best case scenario. It could be a little trap to encourage Archimites, or is it Archimoids? Archimazons? To misbehave so Dr. Feelgood can practice whatever it is he does behind the big steel padlocks around the corner. So the Joker is content to sit there and collect whatever best behavior points might be due him when a guard comes by and notices that he hasn't gone rabbiting for the door, even though he knows it's unlocked. Content, that is, until he smells smoke. <laughs> Hmm. Now, fire is one of those things that's only funny if it happens to someone else. Back before his brief and disastrous, although life-changing stint as Little Red Robin Hood, a certain failing stand-up comedian acquired a keen understanding of the fact that most humor is sublimated hostility, and that very few people are able to laugh genuinely when the joke is on them. Himself, he sure isn't about to laugh if good old Arkham Asylum is about to burn down around his ears. So it's to the door and out. And if that means boot heels and missing teeth, well, he'll just learn to whistle through the gaps. The hallway is your proverbial Chinese fire drill. Guards run one way, medical staff another. The Joker is happy to see that he's not the only inmate unexpectedly at liberty, and even happier, giggly if the truth be told, to note that the guards have not the slightest interest in either putting him back in his cell or performing any impromptu shoe leather dentistry. He remembers the inspector. Have we met? I could swear I've seen him before. Bits of an old show tune flicker through his memory, and he's about to start whistling along when flames whoosh out of a utility closet and set an inmate known as Broccoli Jim on fire. <laughs> Combustible Florence, ladies and gentlemen! The very latest inconvenience for your cannibalistic kitchen! <laughs> 
there's an explosion somewhere, and all the fire alarms, which could hardly be blamed for overreacting, go off at once. The Joker hotfoots it <laughs> in the direction of the main door, and when part of the locked ceiling falls in, burns rubber <laughs> in the other direction and blazes down the stairs. Oh, now really? When it becomes clear, even to such an architecturally challenged person as himself, that there's no way out on the ground. Oh, poo. He does recall rumors, though. And isn't it about time that someone gave rumors their due? Broccoli rumors creeping like flame. Show me the way to get back in the game. He does a little soft chew down the basement stairs, landing with a flourish. The game, the glorious game of villainy. But a bum. Everybody's a cricket. <laughs> Let's hear it for rumors, for sources anonymous, for dark innuendo, and all things synonymous. <laughs> There's this door, see, way down in one of the sub-basements. The four, I think. Was it Broccoli Jim who said that? The Joker can't remember, but he fondly commends Jim's by now carbonized florets to the afterlife. Uh, perhaps it's better this way. If he had lived, he probably would have been a vegetable. <laughs> He's rounding the landing between the third and fourth sub-basements. <laughs> I wonder if I'm on the sea level. Well, here I am. There's a door. He opens it. The room on the other side is dark and smells like a plumber's handkerchief. <laughs> My goodness. I fear that standards of personal hygiene are compromised here in the fourth sub-basement. He smells the underarms of his jumpsuit. <laughs> Me, of course, being a most educational counterexample. <gasps> What's this? A door is what it is. Locked with one of those wheelie things that he remembers from movies about submarines. A hatch! Crash dive! Aooga! <laughs> <laughs> The wheel is rusted solid, but the Joker has come much too far, and your Dr. Feelgood and the Simeon guards, and even the wretched odors of the sub-basements, he has no intention of asphyxiating now. He puts, as the saying goes, his back into it, and the hatch mechanism gives a little. It's getting hotter down here. Oh, that sounded much too close for my taste. No, no asphyxiation, no crushing me under burning rubble. If I'm crushed under burning rubble, how will I ever send a thank you note to whoever unlocked my door? Wrenching the hatch open, he leaps through. And here's where his enthusiasm has run away with him a little since he bangs both kneecaps on an iron railing and goes straight over instead of down the little stair that he sees as he falls past it. 
It hurts, okay, but he springs right up. Ta-da! What? 6.8? Come on! Lousy Russian judge. And he skips off down the tunnel with whose floor he has recently become acquainted. Granite bricks. <laughs> that means old. Old, if he's lucky, and he has been a very lucky ducky today, means forgotten. And forgotten means that he might just get to try his act on Gotham one more time. Then he's running, he's so excited, and he skids to a halt at a rusting iron grate. And he realizes that if he continues to be a lucky ducky, he'll get another chance at that strange and humorless creature everyone has been calling the Batman, whom he last encountered at the end of the Reservoir debacle. Ah, what a day. And not even swimming down an old discharge pipe, <coughs> wading through a containment lagoon at the D'Angelo wastewater plant, and diving off the top of a chain-link fence into the freezing waters of the Gotham River can dampen his enthusiasm for this day. No, sir. Not when there are helicopters fruitlessly spraying retardant foam on the blazing ruins of Arkham Asylum. The idea of retardant foam, as it occurs to him in the middle of the river, very nearly makes him laugh hard enough to drown. As if the occupants of Arkham Asylum need any more retarding. He wants to go upriver, get some distance between him and the various forces of law and order, maybe figure out who it was that let him loose. Or not. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he's swimming and... And as if he's tripped an alarm, suddenly there are Gotham City Police Department boats everywhere. And me without my pig nose. <coughs> so much for heading upstream. Plan B is to disappear into the city, although this is no mean feat for a man of his distinctive, to say nothing of distinguished, appearance. He surfaces near the north shore of Aparo Park, across from the line of piers that marks the northwest corner of, well, whatever the island used to be called before it was Gotham City. Probably something dour and Swedish. A lit-up clock face on a nearby church tower, equally dour and Swedish, pegs the time as almost midnight. Ringing out the sleeves of his jumpsuit, the Joker mock-tips his imaginary hat to the surprised lovers and recreational chemists who inhabit this part of the park during this part of the day. Well, during any part of the day, really. Toodaloo! He makes tracks along the Sprang River bikeway, heading for the overhung, and it must be added, generally hungover, tangle of old Gotham. But he never gets there. And if the Joker were an introspective man, which he is sometimes, but not right now, he might think that the various obstacles that have presented themselves today were telling him something. As it is, he is merely out of sorts, ill-humored even, although that doesn't last for long. The situation is this. He isn't the only Arkhamite indulging his yearning to breathe free. As a result, the GCPD, those detestable leg breakers, are everywhere. Right before the Joker's very eyes, four of them take down a midget anarchist psychopath, the terms meant only in a descriptive and certainly not a pejorative sense, known as coup d'etat. Hold him down! I got him! That's a feisty drunk bastard! I'm gonna kick your ass, Frodo! Which is the violation? While they're getting their work out, the Joker starts to fade into the background, moving slowly lest he draw their attention. 
He's not prepared for direct confrontation, not yet. There are stockpiles to be accessed, cronies and sidekicks to be notified. Then and only then will he pick up where he left off last year. That's enough. You have him in custody. Yikes! Ugh. Wouldn't you know it? Well, 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 if it isn't the bad job. If it was up to me, you'd be right there in Arkham with the rest of the freaks. While I was burning! But Batman is all of a sudden fighting with the police. The Joker nearly has an aneurysm trying not to laugh. It doesn't work, and he runs away as fast as he can. Letting the first really good laugh he's had in months trail away behind him as he cuts out of the park and zigzags his way through the side streets and alleys of Burnley. Along the way, he decides that underground wasn't such a bad place to be after all. He's been watching workout videos in Arkham, and his newly toned muscles have no trouble at all loosening a manhole cover. Quick, quick, he's down into the sewers again, and every time he has a chance to keep going down, he takes it. After some time, he realizes that one of the holes he's wriggled through connects not tunnel to tunnel, but tunnel to cave. <gasps> My goodness. It's a good thing he can see a little in the dark, or this entire adventure would have been a miscalculation. As it turns out, though, it's about the best thing he could have done. An engineer must have bored too close to a cave, and time did the rest. I shall... Spelunk! Indeed he does. What a day. Vicki Vale, Gotham Gazette. In an act of arson unprecedented even in Gotham City's troubled history, more than three dozen fires were set across Coventry and the Upper East Side last night, killing dozens of people and destroying several Gotham landmarks. The first and largest of the blazes destroyed Arkham Asylum, see sidebar for a chronology of Arkham disasters and escapes, killing an unknown number of inmates and sparking a citywide manhunt for those who escaped. At this time, most escapees are said to have been apprehended, but neither the GCPD nor Arkham officials could estimate how many might remain at large. Police Department spokesman Jason Dodge suggested that only a handful of escapees were still on Gotham's streets. Based on the preliminary reports we're getting from Arkham, we think we've got almost all of them, he said. Dodge declined to give specifics or to offer a concrete timeline for the release of all information about escapees. That's going to be up to Dr. Crane in the mayor's office, he said. Dr. Jonathan Crane, reached by telephone late last night, said he had no idea how long it would be before asylum staff were able to compile a final list of the dead. Until the buildings are safe to enter, he said, we're stuck with estimates just like you are. And at a time like this, our focus should be on the survivors. Finding out exactly how many of those survivors there are, however, is a top priority of local neighborhood activists. I do hope Dr. Crane recognizes the importance of this information to the peace of mind of the average Gotham citizen, said Catherine Smith of the SOS, South of Sprang, Neighborhood Association. Hearing that Two-Face or the Joker is definitely off the streets will let us all sleep better at night. 
Another question emerging in the wake of last night's disaster is whether a single person was responsible, and if so, whether it was the same person who two nights ago set a fire in Otisburg that killed two Gotham City firefighters. The GCPD's Dodge wouldn't speculate, saying only that fire department and police investigators are working closely to identify and arrest the person or persons responsible for this horrific act. As in the case of the previous fire, Batman was observed at the scene. Various witnesses credit him with rescuing numerous people from fires, as well as personally recapturing a number of Arkham escapees. According to other eyewitness reports, Batman also engaged in a running battle with a mysterious figure in what might have been a firefighter's uniform. Conflicting reports suggest that this person was seen in the neighborhood of several of the fires immediately before they started, and there are unconfirmed allegations that he was seen at Aparo Park just before a car registered to Arkham Asylum exploded outside the park's hillside gate. July 28th, 10.17 p.m. <sighs> Out of the last 24 hours, Captain James Gordon has slept maybe three. He was up all night with a baby because Barbara's been fighting a cold. He forgot to eat breakfast, and most of his day disappeared in a tar pit of reports and meetings with the commissioner's flunkies. Now there are escaped Arkham loonies all over Gotham, and every cop in the city is on 24-hour shifts until they're rounded up. They've gotten maybe half of them already, though it's hard to tell because with the fire still burning, there's no way to know exactly how many escaped and how many died. Dr. Crane isn't being much help either, and as usual, Gordon has to spend half his energy threatening and cajoling the members of the force to do their jobs. Meanwhile, the city is rife with lunatics. But nobody cares. And on top of it all, there's this new maniac starting fires everywhere, and killing firefighters on top of that. Gotham City had no shortage of arsonists before, but now there's definitely a surplus. And this new one is a real piece of work, or so say the reports coming in from Batman. This pyro knows his demolitions and incendiaries, and on top of it, thinks he's a French poet. How Batman knows all this, like most things associated with him, is uncertain. Gordon isn't sure he wants to know, since his impression is that you either know everything about Batman, or content yourself with nothing. Right now, he's happier with nothing, as long as Batman keeps on doing what he's been doing. Gotham City likes having him around, and the mayor and Commissioner Piscura hate him. So as far as Captain James Gordon is concerned, not that anyone would ask, Batman is a welcome addition to the city's roster of the disaffected and extra-legal. Hey, Captain. The uniformed cop is not from Gordon's district, or what used to be Gordon's district, so Gordon doesn't know him. And if he's like most of the GCPD, he doesn't want to know Gordon, so Gordon doesn't ask his name. Yeah, there's not too many of them left. That we know of. Sure, but sightings are starting to repeat, and we're getting less of them, so uh, I think we're getting on top of it. Now if we could just catch this guy starting all the fires, we'd be all set. wonder why your buddy in the cape doesn't get on that. Suddenly, Gordon figures out what's going on. The uniform is carrying someone's water, and that someone wants Batman to quit helping catch the loonies and go do something more difficult, more dangerous, and less visible, like catch this mysterious poet arsonist. And this same someone figures Gordon can order Batman around. Whoever's errand boy you are, tell him to talk to me himself next time. 
Excuse me. I've got work to do. <clears throat> yes, sir. It's not smart, but Gordon already has a reputation for bullheaded idiocy among his fellow cops. What he can't figure out is why this Batman character has chosen him. It's one thing to believe you're the only honest man in a corrupt and decaying police force, but when a vigilante like Batman seems to agree, that puts your self-assessment in a whole different light. Does Batman think they're partners? Or are they just two men with a common interest but differing approaches? The commissioner and his underlings don't care. The important thing to them is that they've got a thorn named Jim Gordon getting in their collective side, and he's sympathetic, if not actually in cahoots with, the goody two-shoes and the cape and boots. Speak of the devil. Jim Gordon. Captain. Call me back in two minutes. Two minutes later, he's outside police headquarters, around the corner past the parking garage. He smoked a cigarette, almost to the filter already. There's some sentiment around here that you should leave the Arkham problem to the PD and go get this Enfer character. I heard. Now this, Gordon doesn't like a bit. Whether they're on the same side or not, he doesn't want anyone bugging headquarters. <sighs> Do me a favor. The truth is... He's wanted ears inside HQ himself more than once. What favor? Never mind. Actually, no, don't never mind. Is there a good way for you to let me in on what you hear from in there? Your computer there isn't secure. I'm not sure this phone is anymore either. I'm guessing you have another idea? I might, but let's talk about it another time. Two-Face is waiting for you at the stadium, on the 50-yard line. Harvey, Gordon wants to say, his name is Harvey Dent, but it isn't. Not anymore. <sighs> okay. Thanks. And I've spotted four new fires in the last 15 minutes. I think if you get a chopper up over Arkham, you'll find something interesting. <sighs> Gordon turns right instead of left, getting into his car and heading for the airport. It takes some cajoling, as well as the standard badge-waving, but eventually Gordon is able to get a chopper for a run over the city. I can't get too close to the nut hatch, though. The way it's burning, there's bound to be all kinds of updrafts. I just need a good look at all the fires together. Gordon can see the Gotham cityscape, speckled with orange. What is it about this place that draws them? If he were a religious man, He'd be inclined to think that Gotham's ongoing plague of villainous crackpots was some kind of payback for the city's endemic vice. But that's a medieval attitude. More likely, it's just that they all feel at home here. It's a pretty good place to be a violent criminal, despite Jim's best efforts. He knows what Barbara would say. That's no way to think. And she'd be right. He does more than most of them. And if it never feels like quite enough, well... Jim Gordon has to be man enough not to let his tendency to feel inadequate get in the way of good police work. Feeling sorry for yourself doesn't catch the bad guys. I'm gonna go north and come down. That the way you want to look from? Let's start with that. They're heading west over the Mooney Bridge, which is stop and go even at this time of night. The lights of police boats flash on the Gotham River to the south, and there are searchlights everywhere. Looks like some of the crazies decided to swim for it. Me? I wouldn't get in that water even to get out of Arkham. I don't think the water's that bad anymore. You can have it. 
For some reason, the water comment gets Gordon thinking about the Joker, who introduced himself to Gotham City by trying to poison the reservoir. He's kind of hoping that the Joker didn't get out of Arkham. In any case, he might never know, since Jonathan Crane doesn't look to be getting any more cooperative. If he didn't have enough on his plate with the allegedly sane parts of the city, Gordon would take a closer look at that guy. They bank a little southward. Somewhere below them, under 60 or 70 feet of water and another several yards of silt and rock, are the county railroad tunnels. Gordon can see the air intakes on the shore at the western end of Amusement Mile. Going due south now, they pass over Knight Stadium. How much higher can you go? The pilot doesn't answer, but they start climbing. Soon Gordon can see the whole city, and the fire spreading across its midsection, just south of the Sprang River. While he watches, two more burst into life. And then two more. And then, an entire string of them, one after another, in the shape of a V maybe six blocks long. He waves the pilot forward, and the helicopter leans into its acceleration. More fires bloom between the lines of the V, and then to the west, still more. Damn. There aren't enough firefighters in Gotham City to handle all of these. That's an H, he sees, as the fires to the west of the V fill in. He racks his brain for words that have an HV in the middle, even though he's not quite ready to believe that anyone would actually use fires to spell out a word across Gotham City. Then, still farther to the west, on the edge of the Upper East Side, another line of fires sparkles to life. Take us around to the south! As they fly directly over the fires, he can see the massed strength of the Gotham City Fire Department doing their valiant best to contain the blazes that make up the V. More ladder companies are screaming up from the southern parts of the city, and off to his right, Gordon can see flashing red lights on the Trigate and Brown bridges, help from the suburbs. The westernmost line of fires resolves itself into a second V. Roman numerals? Was there an H? And then, as the pilot swings the helicopter around to face north, Gordon realizes he's been simultaneously wrong and terribly right. Not V's, A's, with an H in between. And the first letter is the blazing wreck of Arkham Asylum, which viewed from here is another H. Jesus. July 28th, 11.16 p.m. Months, months he's been waiting to put this plan into action. And now that it's happening, Enfer is on top of the world. Arkham Asylum is a bonfire, which all by itself would be enough to put him in a good mood. And the microdot transponder he stuck to the cart he slid under the Joker's door appears to be in good working order. Speaking of the Joker, he appears to be well on his way to safety. And Enfer has been rehearsing their first meeting since the moment he conceived of this idea. They're kindred spirits, really, he and the Joker. They should be working together, complementing each other's strengths. Enfer likes a good joke. Who doesn't? And I bet you're a man who likes a nice warm fire, he'll say to the Joker when they meet. Which will be as soon as Enfer is sure that the last series of charges has gone off correctly. He's in a rooftop garden on the Upper East Side, just off the traffic circle at the northwest corner of Robinson Park. The owner doesn't know he's there, and in point of fact, never will. Enfer looks around, his last charge of the evening cradled in one arm. He wants to get this last one exactly right, ceremonially right. Potted plant? Silly. Jacuzzi? 
Probably not the best idea, since even though the thermite handles water pretty well, this last exclamation point is the last thing in the world he wants to mess up right now. <sighs> the thing to do, he concludes reluctantly, is lay it at the top of the heating duct that runs right along that beautifully combustible hardwood floor in the master suite. It'll take a little longer to be visible from the air, but that has to be balanced against the artistic imperative to keep it burning. He sets the charge and primes it. Everything is catching. Yes, everything is catching on fire. <laughs> when he's stepping out of the service elevator into a hallway that leads to the building's loading door, he checks his watch. Right on schedule. Then he checks the transponder. Hmm. The Joker appears to be in the river. That wasn't part of the plan. Enfer picks up his pace, getting into a car driven by a recent Arkham graduate, now employed as a chauffeur for Dr. Crane on an informal basis. The driver's name is something like Willie or Billy. Enfer doesn't know, and couldn't care less. Okay, Billy. Okay. Enfer has another look at the transponder's location. Either the Joker is moving toward Aparo Park, or he's been eaten by a fish that's headed that way. Aparo Park. Aparco Park. Don't mind him, Enfer imagines saying to the Joker. You know how some of Dr. Crane's therapies can take hold. He starts flipping switches as they drive, and across Gotham City, his little greeting begins to take shape. Enfer can't see it, though, because traffic is miserable, what with fire trucks and ambulances flying everywhere. Oh, if he could only follow one of them and watch. Or be on one of them. <gasps> that snaps him back to reality. There was then, and there's now. The Gotham City Fire Department had their chance, and look what they did. And how many of them would rather be doing just what Enfer is doing right now? He imagines interviewing a group of firefighters. How many of you guys would like to meet the Joker? Yeah? Pretty good living, this villain business. You get in with the right people, and you can go a long way. Plus, with a knowing wink, the perks aren't bad. It's when he starts imagining their responses that Enfer's mood whipsaws from jovial to blackly homicidal. And now, instead of wanting to follow the fire trucks, he's wishing he'd left little greeting cards at every single point of every single letter. He'll do it, too, just as soon as he and the Joker get together. First, they'll have to take care of Crane, though. Because as of this evening, he and Crane are no longer working together. And Crane isn't all that sympathetic to former employees or former patients who look for other lines of work. Oh, and if he's planning to take care of Crane, he ought to be covering his tracks as of, say, right now. They're pulling into the Aparo Park surface lot, traffic having improved quite a bit once they got across the river into Burnley. Thanks, Billy. Thanks! Why don't you go find Dr. Crane and see what he wants you to do? Frank Dr. Kind. <laughs> this is the funniest thing Enfer's heard all day. And because Billy was nice enough to add this bit of hilarity to the proceedings, Enfer waits a full five minutes longer than he'd planned before setting off the half-dozen cherry bombs he's left under the driver's seat of the car. That obstacle cleared, Enfer straightens his coat and glances one last time at the GPS tracker. Then, out of the corner of his eye, huh. he sees the Joker, strutting down the Sprang River bikeway as if he's the king of Gotham City. The Beau Brummel of Fifth Avenue, Sandra would have said. Enfer starts to walk after him. He doesn't want to make his approach immediately. 
There's a rise in the path that crests a bluff in a mile and a half or so, and until then, Enfer is content to walk and see if he can learn something from the Joker. This is the man, after all, who not only set a new standard in Gotham villainy, but also brought out the absolute best in Batman. Enfer imagines and hopes that if his display tonight hasn't drawn Batman's interest, the Joker's liberty surely will. What is it about you, he silently asks the Joker, that so provokes our common enemy? Does he hate jokes? It seems he must. Although, didn't he roll his eyes when Enfer quoted Sondrar? That was a humorous response. Hmm. We shall consider it together. Hold it right there, you, you little nut job! <laughs> never, never shall you capture me, you hyper-pirate stormtrooper! <laughs> There's a sudden ruckus on the path as a midget in a top hat and black overcoat bursts from the brush on the river side of the bikeway, closely pursued by four of Gotham's finest. They jump him and give him the kind of beating you expect from GCPD. Exuberant yet clinical, savage yet somehow artistic. The fracas draws Enfer's attention away from the Joker for long enough that he doesn't see that party's quick disappearance. Then, when he's despairingly looked back from the place where the Joker was to the scene of the midget's close encounter of the nightstick kind, there's Batman. That's enough. You have him in custody. You have to admire him. A bad cop is as much Batman's enemy as the Joker is, or as Enfer is. And because of that, he'll never win. He must know this. Is that courage to fight a battle you know you have to lose? Or just a poorly expressed suicidal tendency? Enfer is a little too far away to hear the details, but he does get the impression that the cops would dispute his characterization of them and Batman as members of the same team. One of them, in fact, goes so far as to stand right up to the caped crusader, as the newspapers have taken to calling him. Well, 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 if it isn't the bad job. If it's up to me, you'd be right there in Arkham with the rest of the freaks. Well, I was burning! With that, the cop turns around and gives the prone midget a kick, just for good measure. And before it even happens, Enfer has already envisioned the unearthly reflexes of Batman in action. Enfer is rooted to the spot, watching the show, and it's only the Joker that snaps him out of it. Batman is looking up, he's hurt too. Time for a fully committed diversion. Batman! Derrière ce rideau de flamme, on aperçoit des grandes ombres qui se tordent et s'abattent, non? And Batman is coming at him. And Enfer has time to lob a charbroiler over his head into the midst of the four cops and their unfortunate collar. Enfer can't have word getting out about Batman fighting Gotham PD. Enfer goes sprinting off back toward Aparo Park. Gotta keep their reputations unsullied, whether that means bad unsullied by good or the other way around. Enfer's the bad guy here, and Batman's the good guy. Need to keep that clear. Like the favor I did you? You need me, you know. What I need is to get my hands on you and break your other arm off, too. Then both of them are running too hard to talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs>